Hey, we're glad to have you here with us today at One Chapel. We're a church in Austin that helps people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about One Chapel and the things God is doing here at onechapel.com. Now, here is this week's message. We launched into this great series on the book of James just a a couple weeks ago, and it really has been fun. The first two Sundays, I think, really profound ideas within the book of James. And one of the things you'll see as we go through this book is that it's one of the most practical books in the New Testament. It's pragmatic in almost every way. And then it really is the how-to manual for the Christian life. And so uh, I, I think it's a really good study. And in fact, we think it's so good. We did a little small group uh, guide, a discussion guide. It also can be used for your own personal study. And it's available out at, uh, in the, at the welcome table uh, when you leave in the lobby. And so it's got great content, some, a bunch of bonus things that we, that we can't cover as we're going through the book of James. Pick that up on your way out. It'll be really good for you. Okay, let's study the scriptures together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and the power of it. Thank you for the revelation that comes as we open it up. And now, by your spirit, would you teach us? We say, come, Holy Spirit. Give us insight, give us revelation, and give us your grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. We start in James chapter 2, verse 14, if you want to open your Bible and uh, follow along. We'll also have it on the screen, James 2, 14 through 26, says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds, James says. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds, is dead. Kind of feels like we need to pray now, doesn't it? Pretty forceful passage of Scripture here that we're looking at this morning. And you know, it strikes me that it seems like if you put the word real in front of anything, it sells more. 
right? If you put the word real in front of coffee, real coffee, real leather, real wood. A few years ago, there was a television show called Real People. Coca-Cola is called the real thing. I love Coke. No. (laughs) Pepsi's no good. Coke is good. It's the real thing. (laughs) See, it works. (laughs) There's There's even a book out there entitled, Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. Here in this passage, James is talking about the difference between real and counterfeit faith. He's talking about authentic believers and fake believers. Wait, is there such a thing as fake believers? Yes, there is. James says it. And this is pretty important because there's a lot of people out there who think they are Christians, but they're not. And we'll see this in just a little bit. James shows us what it means to have real faith. But first, one of the things that you need to understand about these verses is that this is the most controversial and misunderstood passage in the book of James. Every cult that sort of mixes some half-truths and lies and and they, they, they get into this framework where they try to use this idea, this passage even, to prove you have to work your way to heaven. And so it's important that every one of us get what James is talking about here in this passage so when those guys come to your door, you'll know what to say. And so now, because I want to start here, not with James, but with Ephesians, the writings of Paul, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9. It's in your message notes if you want to read along. It says, for it is by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, the Apostle Paul is teaching here that we are saved by faith alone and not through works. But then James comes along and says, it's not just faith, but faith and works. And so who... so. So what is he talking about then? What is James saying here? Who's right? Is it James or is it Paul? I want to suggest to you that it's both. That both are right. Good job. It's both, but they're just talking about different things. They're talking about different things. Look at this comparison in your message notes. The comparison between Paul and James. The apostle Paul was fighting this problem of legalism when he was writing to the Ephesian believers. He's fighting the problem of legalism, the problem of I've got to keep all the Jewish laws and regulations to be a Christian. So the Apostle Paul's speaking to them, but James, on the other hand, is not fighting legalism. He's fighting laxity. Ooh, that's a fun word to know and say. Laxity, laziness. Those who say, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe. See, they're fighting two different enemies. And so when the Apostle Paul uses the word works, he's talking about Jewish laws. He's describing Jewish laws like circumcision and and other requirements 
But when James uses the word works, he's talking about the lifestyle of a Christian. He's describing a Christian lifestyle. And so the Apostle Paul is focusing then, he focuses on the root of salvation. In other words, in other words, what happens to me internally when I come to faith in Jesus? What happens to me on the inside? That's what Paul's describing, where James is focusing on the, on the fruit of salvation. Everybody say fruit. There's a fruit to salvation. He's, James is talking about what happens on the outside. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about how to know you're a Christian. Right when he's writing to these Ephesian believers, but James is talking about how to show you're a Christian. <laughs> See what I did there? It's, it's better when it rhymes. So, so you have to see the difference between Paul and James. Lastly, I'll just mention this. The Apostle Paul is talking about how to become a believer, where James is talking about how to behave as a Christian. What a Christian does. This is all summed up in the greater context of Paul's writing in Ephesians 2. When you include verse 10, look at this in the Good News translation. It says, for it is by God's grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift so that no one can boast about it. God has made us what we are and in our union with Christ Jesus, he has created for us, he's created us for a life of good deeds, which he has already prepared for us to do. Now, I want you to notice that there are three key prepositions in, in the phrasing of the Apostle Paul here in this verse, in this passage. He's, he, he highlights by, through, and for. You can write that in your margin if you want to. By grace, through faith, for good works. Now, why is that so important? It's so important because the order is significant. The order is really, really important because if you get those out of order, you're in trouble. If you think you're a Christian by works for faith, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Something's wrong with your Faith, you're trying to accomplish something by your own works. But James is saying, or Paul is saying here, that we are saved or made right with God or rescued by grace. And the word grace means favor. You are favored by God, by grace, through faith. And then for a bunch of good things you're called to do that God's already prepared for you. In other words, we're saved and rescued from a life separated by God just by accepting His gift through Jesus. But then the question becomes, what are these good deeds that Paul's talking about? Or another way to say it might be, how do I actually show that I'm a believer? Well, that's what James is talking about here in chapter 2. How does it get revealed what is that process about? That's what James is describing. So I'm going to give you, James says there are five ways that you can know you've got the real thing. 
Five ways you know you got the real thing. Number one, real faith is not just something you say. Real faith is not just something you say. Verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brother, if a man claims, everybody say claims, claims to have faith but have no, has no deeds, can such faith save him? James doesn't say this person actually has faith. Notice, he's not saying he actually has faith. He says that this person claims to have it. He talks about it. He knows all the right phrases. And we see a lot of this in our own culture, don't we? In fact, in my lifetime, it's been incredible to watch what's happening in our American culture. We've been engaged for quite a while in a relatively long and slow decline and a consistent struggle of people's faith. How does it work? It's incredible what's happened just in my own generation. I was part of something called Generation X. Generation X, they called us that because we didn't know what we stood for. We had, we had these boomers ahead of us who did all this awesome stuff and we were like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. <laughs> and so Generation X went through a major, major faith struggle in the 90s and the early 2000s. Barna Research Group recorded it. These statistics from, from the time I was 25 years old to the time I was 38 years old, and they, and they did this, this huge study. They described an unchurched person. Okay, an unchurched person, here's how they described it, as an 18-year-old or older who has not attended a Christian church service within the past six months. But that doesn't include holidays like Christmas and Easter. So in other words, if you went to Christmas and Easter, that doesn't make you churched, right? You were an unchurched person, even if you went to a wedding or a funeral, right? And here's the, here's the stat that's so shocking. There was a 92% increase in the number of unchurched Americans between 91 and 2004. In 1991, there were 39 million unchurched Americans compared with 75 million in 2004. Now, the last 15 years, the trend has continued, maybe at a sl- some kind of a slower rate. But the, the, the statistics kind of remain true. Even in our city of Austin, more than three out of five, 62% unchurched adults consider themselves to be Christians. So they're Christians, they don't go to church. And 44% claim they've made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ and that he's important in their life. And so uh, we've done several studies um, here in the city of Austin and you will find that upwards of 70%, north of 70% will say that they're a Christian, while the unchurched percentage skyrockets. There's a disconnect somewhere. The effectiveness of the church, maybe. What does that mean? (laughs) As soon as I say it, you're like, yeah, that's what it is, the effectiveness of the church, because you think that's somebody else. You're the church. I'm not the church. I just play a role in the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Here's what I've learned. He's really faithful, no matter what we're going through culturally. 
But there's no denying that we've had some really difficult seasons about faith just in my lifetime. And this is what James is dealing with. Nothing is new under the sun. It's happened before. James is dealing with this as he writes this letter because the reality is even though people might say they're a Christian, it's more than just talk that is involved in real faith. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. See, not everybody with a Christian bumper sticker is a believer. I personally try to stay away from that little fish on the back of my car because I don't want people to see how fast I drive. (laughs) Not everybody who wears a cross is a believer. Not everybody who goes to church is a Christian. James says, can such faith save him? What value is this kind of faith? It's a rhetorical question because the obvious answer is nothing. There is no value. There is no value in this kind of faith. See, talk is cheap. Several years ago, there was a a man named Larry Flint. Some of you might remember him as the publisher of Hustler magazine. He said he was born again. There was a big article in People magazine, and it was titled, Is Larry Flint's conversation, or sorry, conversion, (laughs) that's important, Is Larry Flint's conversion for real or just to escape prison? (laughs) That was the title of the article, all right, because he was was in trouble. The article described Flint's conversion. I'm reading now from People magazine, all right? (laughs) It's a really awesome source. His... This is just, so, so here's what it said. His turnabout, Flint admits, was startling. You've got to understand that I was an atheist, he says. Then I became a Christian. Then I became a born-again Christian. And now I have become a Christian patriot. And all that happened in a two-week period. <laughs> Parentheses, a Christian patriot, Flint explains, is willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. His metamorphosis began last fall after Flint met evangelist Ruth Carter Stapleton, President Carter's sister. After their families visited each other at home, Flint declared his commitment to God on November 17. He claims he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit four days later on a private jet winging toward Los Angeles, a trip he spent on his knees speaking in tongues at 40,000 feet. Wow. On the surface, it, it seems totally legit. And maybe it was, but it didn't last because Christianity is more than what you say. (laughs) His critics, the article pointed out his critics, and here's what his critics said. Flint's critics have theorized that the seven to 25 year sentence he is appealing may have some connection with his new enthusiasm for good works. Flint angrily denies it. But there was never lasting change in his life. He just kept printing and promoting pornography over and over and over again. No difference, no change. See, James is saying that real faith is not just something you say. Which leads us to number two. Real faith is not just something you feel. Not just something you feel. 
In other words, real faith is more than emotions. It's more than an emotional experience. You know, I think a lot of people confuse emotions and sentiment with faith. But the reality is you can be emotionally moved and never act on it by faith. You can go to church, you'd have an experience in worship, you can get a quiver in your liver. I don't know where that came from, but it's like a, you, can get, you can get goosebumps. You can have goosebumps, you can, you can go to church and even cry your eyes out. But emotions by themselves never make a difference in our lives. Now, you have to understand what I'm saying here. Because each of these five statements that I'm going to make, or four of them actually, are, are really saying it's not just feeling. It's not just what you say. Although, I think James would argue, and we could all agree, that our faith includes these things. People who try to come to God without their emotions will never find Him Lord over their emotions. Right? So it's, it's not like it's not part of it, but it, it can't be defined by that. It can't be defined by emotions by themselves. J- James gives this illustration. He says in verse 15, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? Reminds me of the Peanuts cartoon. You ever seen this Peanuts cartoon? Here it is. Snoopy looks kind of... Cold, doesn't he? Linus says to Charlie Brown. I'll say he does. Maybe we'd better go over and comfort him, Charlie Brown says. Be of good cheer, Snoopy. Yes, be of good cheer, Linus says. (laughs) Question mark. You know where Charles Schultz got this little cartoon? To make people sit up and go, "What, what, what is that? Charles Schultz got this cartoon from James right here it's from this verse he says what good is it if you see someone in need and you say oh I really feel for you James is saying listen friends it's far more than just words it's more than just feelings first John three seventeen says it this way if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him how can the love of God be in him the message says it this way Check this out. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears. And you made it disappear. Wow. See, real faith is more than just sympathy and feelings and emotions. You do something about it. You act on it. Real faith takes the initiative. Number three, real faith is not just something you think. For for some people, faith is an intellectual trip, a matter to be studied, a a matter to be debated, uh, something to be talked about over and over again. James imagines his intellectual objector, right? Somebody who comes and says in verse 18, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, James is imagining that this intellectual dude who says, you're you're into faith, I'm into deeds. That's cool. Different strokes, different folks. 
Let's debate it. You've got your thing. I've got mine to each his own way. Stimulate me mentally, but don't ask me to make any commitments. To which James says, verse 18, show me. Everybody say, show me. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. I want you just to write show me in the margins of your notes, because real faith is visible. Real faith is visible. You can see it. It's, it's apparent. Somebody once said, faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can sure see the results. <laughs> now, the truth is you can't see faith but you can see the results. And that's what James is talking about. There's a result of your faith that has to be there. James says, show me. He's saying, so you say you're a Christian. Okay, prove it. Let me see your actions back up your words. President Jimmy Carter in his book, Why Not the Best, said this. One of the things that was a turning point in my life was when somebody asked me the question, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's a great phrase. You know, it's a good question. I was reading some statistics on Christian persecution around the world, and there are varying statistics, but I think most people kind of can, most organizations have settled around the idea that 300 Christians a month are martyred. That's about 10 a day. It's like there's a, there's, a, there's a problem here around the world with what is going on with people's faith having to, having to face persecution intimidation, having to suffer for what they believe. It's hard for us as Americans to get that, like to grab onto that. We don't really have an understanding of what that's really like. Most of our faith is based on conveniences rather than convictions. How far do we have to go to go to church? I'm really tired tonight. I don't want to go to small group. You see, it's a whole different thing than what's going on around the world where people are convinced they can't just know it, they have to show it, and they're willing to show it, and that's what gets them into trouble. How do you know you're a true believer? Well, you'll see changes in your life. Real faith always produces change. And so real faith is not just something you say. Real faith is not just something you feel. Real faith is not just something you think. Number four, real faith is not just something you believe. That seems strange. Verse 19, here's what James says. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So the demons believe, and we think believing's the point to make you a Christian. That's what James is saying. He's like, it's got to be more than that. In fact, if you read carefully through the New Testament, you'll find there's something called 
repentance. Repent and believe. Believe and then repent. Then repent, then believe. Then believe again when you have to repent. Repentance is about action. That's what James is talking about here. There's a lot of people out there who have strong beliefs about God and about the Bible and about Jesus and they can recite creeds to you and they can recite Bible verses. They can talk about doctrines of the Trinity and other such things. And James says, big deal. Doesn't matter. Just saying I believe in God is not enough to get you to heaven. Even the devil and his demons believe that. They're not going to heaven. The word believe in Greek means to trust in, to cling to, to rely on, to commit yourself completely. Everybody say completely. That's about what I expect, completely. Here's, Here's the point. I can believe in Toyotas, but that doesn't make me a car. I can believe in Whole30. Doesn't make me skinny. (laughs) I have to actually eat the food. I can believe in Jesus and still not be a Christian. That's why real faith is not just believing. It's not just saying, I believe. There's so much easy believism in our American Christianity a while back there was an article in the Orange County Register in California and it talked about this, this idea and the title was many in Orange County believe but don't practice. And in the article they did a, a big survey and asked people all over Orange County and they found a high degree of belief. Sure, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. But then when asked, do you attend church? No. <laughs> do you donate your time? No. Do you tithe? No. That's what James is talking about. It's a phony belief. You're just conning yourself. So if faith is real, it's not just something you say, not just something you feel, not just something you think, not just something you believe, then what is real faith? Number five, real faith is something you do. We're going to read verses 20 through 26. We're going to read the whole passage again, so go with me here. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. That's a story in the Old Testament. Verse 26 says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so a faith without deeds is dead. And so here, this is so cool what James does because he gives two illustrations, two very different people. Abraham and Rahab to show us that real faith is something that you do. Interestingly enough, both of these people are in the lineage of Jesus Christ. In the lineage, in the, in the ancestry. And, and so think about it. Abraham is a man. Rahab is a woman. Abraham is Jewish. Rahab is a Gentile. Abraham is a patriarch. Rahab is a prostitute. Abraham is a somebody. 
Rahab is a nobody. Abraham is a major character in the Bible. Rahab is a very minor character in an Old Testament Bible story. And James uses these two people, these two opposite illustrations to say it doesn't matter who you are. It's what you do that matters. People don't like that phrase. It's very countercultural. What you do that matters. No, it's, no I'm, I'm valuable as a person. Listen, that is totally true. That's why Jesus died for you. But as a Christian, what James is saying is, you don't have to be perfect. We're not talking about perfection here. We're still talking about Jesus dying on a cross to get rid of your sin and your broken yesterdays. He's doing a work in you. What James is saying is, that work's got to come out. It's got to reveal itself, even in your own perfection, in imperfection. There was only one who was perfect. His name was Jesus, and they killed him for it. No one will ever kill you for being perfect. (laughs) But you may face persecution because you've decided that your faith has to be lived on the outside. This is what James is saying, and so I want you to write this last phrase down. Because I didn't put it in your notes, but I want you to write it down so you remember it. See, our faith is not determined by what we do. It's demonstrated by what we do. It's not determined by what we do. It's demonstrated by what we do. Back in 1859, there was a famous tightrope walker named Charles Blondin who, for a publicity stunt, decided he would walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Maybe you've heard of this story. On an appointed day, they stretched a tightrope from one side of Niagara Falls to the other. He got out there, and the crowds were lining up on both the Canadian and the American side. And thousands of people showed up to see this unbelievable feat. And Blondin walked up to the edge of the tightrope, put one foot on the tightrope, and put another foot out and began to walk across inch by inch and step by step. He got out in the middle and everybody knew that if he made one mistake in balance, that was the end for him. He'd fall off the rope and into the falls and obviously be killed. Blondin got to the other side and the crowd went wild, shouting and cheering. Blondin said, I'm going to do it again. And he got to the other side and the crowds went crazy and Blondin said, I'm going to do it again, but this time I'm going to push a wheelbarrow full of dirt. And he pushed the wheelbarrow across. He got to the other side. He did this like nine or ten times. On about the tenth time, he pushed the wheelbarrow right in front of a tourist who said, I believe you could do that all day. And Blondin dumped out the dirt and said, Get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) He didn't get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) But this is what Jesus is asking you and I to do. Get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow. Take the risk. Talk is cheap. Put your money where your mouth is. You say, I believe in Jesus. Well, then prove it. Our faith is demonstrated by our actions. Actions speak louder than words. Our behavior shows what we really believe. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. In other words, test it. Check it out. See if you're really a believer or not. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your heads because we're coming to the Lord's table here at the end of our time together.
want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I want you to think about what James is talking about. I want you to be honest with yourself and ask yourself these questions. Am I really a Christian at all? In light of what James says, am I really a Jesus follower? What, what changes can I point to in my life? Is my lifestyle any different from unbelievers? So many people think it doesn't matter what you do as long as you believe. James says that's not true. He's not saying you work your way to heaven. He's not saying works deliver salvation. He's, he's saying they demonstrate it. He's saying that if your faith doesn't work, what good is it? How do I know for sure? You might be asking. You need to settle that in your mind today. Some of you have doubts. You think to yourself, I've been a good person. I, I've gone to church and I, I, I know about Christ and I've read the Bible and I, I've experienced religion. I've gone to classes, but somehow today you're like realizing you, have, you need to repent. Because there are things in your life that you that you allow and that you're not willing to surrender to Jesus. You can settle that right here. How do you do it? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 said it, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith for a life of good works God has already prepared for us to do. See, it's God's grace. It's his favor. He reaches down. He says, I want you to know me. I want to have a relationship with you. That's grace. That's his grace to us. And you look up and say, I want to know you, Lord. I want to have a relationship with you. His grace, God's hand of grace comes down and your hand of faith goes up. That's called salvation. It's what it means to be a believer, saved by grace through faith, to do exactly what God made you to do in the first place. He has a plan for your life. You're not here by accident. Some of you are struggling with doubt about whether maybe you, you've ever really been a believer. You say, I don't, I don't really remember a time when I specifically asked the Lord to take over my life. I, when I believed in Christ, I, maybe I've never really believed in Him. And, and what I'm saying to you today is you could settle that. You could settle that. That's what goes on on the inside of you. And Jesus himself wants to come into your life and if you've got those doubts, I want you to pray with me. And there's another group of people that you realize you've been living your faith alone, isolated, personally, internally, but it's never made its way out. You're, you willingly disobey the scripture. You consistently just turn away when it's convenient. Listen, Jesus loves you. He's already made a way for you. He just wants to call you back to himself. You need, you need his power in your life. And so I want to pray with both those groups of people. And I just want you to pray with me. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to just pray silently right where you are. As I pray, Father, we, we want to have real faith and not phony faith. Jesus, we give you everything. I give you every area of my life as best I know how. I want to give as much of me as I understand to as much of you as I understand. I, I want to learn more. I want to give you my past, all the things that have happened, the good, the bad, the achievements, the faults, the sins, the mistakes. 
I ask you to take it all and I admit that I've, I've insisted on my own way. I've, I've gone my own way so many times. I haven't consulted you. I've made my own decisions without talking to you about them. I, I ask you to forgive me, Lord. I don't only want you to forgive my past, but I want to give you my future as well. I don't know what it holds, but I know you know. I want to follow you as best I can. I want to be a real believer in Jesus. I want to give you all that I am right now. Take my life. Take me as the person that you want me to be, what you see in me that I don't see in myself yet. Help me to grow. Help me to know that I'm a Christian and and help me to show it in my life by obeying your words. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Help me to understand it more, Lord. I want to get into this wheelbarrow this morning. I want to get in with you and I want to commit all of it to you, the problems and the possibilities of my life. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find everything you need online at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages on your favorite podcast player, and you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 930 and 1130. We'll see you next time.